So I went in and actually got a slot into that, being based in Knoxville, and uh, left for boot camp. I believe it was May 22nd or May 18th. I'd have to go look. And uh, I was in it. I stepped off that bus. The uh, the little bus driver, he uh, he goes, all right, boys, you're on your own. Slammed the door and sped off, and we're like, oh, my God. And then the, the, you hear the drill instructors coming out, and then it's at that point where I'm like, what have I done? This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 41 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that believes in the power of story. Story in that it can heal and inspire and instruct. Because when we listen to the telling of other people's lives, and when we take the time to share the stories of our lives, in both cases, I think there's benefit. There's benefit to the person sharing the tale because there's something to be uh, learned and there's something quite powerful about just thinking of one's life as a journey, as a narrative. And on the other hand, if we are listening to someone else's life, if we are hearing their path, we might not feel so alone in the world, in the universe, because we may find ourselves in their story even if we've lived an entirely different path, an entirely different profession, we may come from wildly different backgrounds, but we may see that at a core level, either we've gone through the same things as the other person, or we can find inspiration. And a huge part of that is what can we take with us from someone's story? How can we enrich our own lives and really our own ability to navigate our unique challenges by listening to how others did the same? This week, I return to a podcast that I actually recorded about five years ago. This one has been in the tank a long time because I was waiting for a very uh, particular moment to share this one. This is one of my very old friends, Colton Carroll, and this podcast is very much focused on his entry into the Marines, going from an 18, 19-year-old in the college dorms where we met and where our friend group was forged, which, by the way, was a friend group created at random, solely through the synchronicity of everybody that happened to be in the same dorm together. And that's what the first about 15 minutes of this episode is, is us kind of in the old style when I would record these podcasts with with old friends, we would spend some time uh, getting caught up. And many of the episodes now are people that I, I don't know for the last 15 years. And so this is a unique offering in that way. And it's also five years ago that I recorded this. That's bizarre that it goes back that far. And this is going to be a two-parter. And again, in this first part, 
beyond the early 15 or so minutes, this is focused on my friend who, when my when we were 19 or 20 years old, announced to this group of about 15 other guys, I'm going to join the Marines. And I'm about to enter training in blank. He, he would do it that summer. So while we were all living lives that are in some ways common to 19-year-olds, maybe studying, maybe playing, maybe working a job, washing dishes or whatever, uh, he was preparing for a challenge of the ages, something that he felt called to do. And if you've ever wondered, you know, what is that like, A, to make such a decision, and B, what, what is the experience? You know, there's a lot of movies about this experience, but this is someone who lived it, who, as you heard at the beginning of that intro, he got off the bus and, you know, here he was. Like, that was it. This was the decision. This was the path. And it's fascinating. Uh, this episode just really feels like it blows by for me when listening because it's such a compelling journey to hear about the trials that are that, that he and his friends his uh, his teammates his platoon were put through during the training the moment where he almost thought that he might tap out because there was a moment of that nature also the humor in such a challenging and and oftentimes brutal situation comes out you know that's the thing so much life happens in this singular story of his training, which will be part one, and next week we'll come out with part two, which is when he actually deployed. So two different connected yet uh, nevertheless quite different episodes, but about this great friend of mine's life and of his great epic experience of becoming a Marine. I think one of the most powerful parts of this is that we get to hear we get to hear those key moments those threshold moments of somebody about to leap into something that will change their life forever if you've ever wondered what on the aftermath of becoming a marine someone wants to eat the most you will hear that in this episode I should also note that Colton Carroll is in LED tech. He travels the world helping with shows for artists that you may have heard of, like the Foo Fighters, Justin Bieber, and various others. Uh, LED stands for light-emitting diode. It is the type of light that is used in many concerts, and he has lived an incredible ad- adventuring and journeying life in that career that he has led, which we don't really get into in these episodes. So I may ultimately have another episode talking with his career as well someday. Note that there is a little bit of light curse words in this episode. Nothing dramatic, but just something to be aware of if you have small children that are listening. And so without further ado, please enjoy this powerful and inspiring conversation with my friend, Colton Carroll. 
I am sitting in a house that I used to live in. My old stomping grounds, your continued stomping grounds, because I'm sitting here with Colton Carroll, one of the oldest friends and best friends that I have in the world. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I was talking to Jim, actually. We recorded his episode yesterday, so if you're listening to this chronologically, and if anybody is listening to this, that's another subtext of that, but um, we were talking about how in the group of friends that I have, there is a bucket that exists as oldest. Right. There are a variety of buckets, but then there's one bucket is oldest friends, and that dates back to 2005 in a dorm that no longer exists right now. Um, do you remember those first days? Absolutely. Um, my first experience, at least with you, was uh, it was move-in day in the dorms. And uh, it was my stepmother and my father coming in. And as we're coming in, I just remember this muscly guy and a cross necklace coming up. And oh, I was gosh, like, oh, right. man, this guy's got to be a badass. And... Uh, he, uh, he came up, and it turned out was one of the nicest guys, complete opposite of my first impression of what I thought you were going to be, and uh, still a badass, but an extremely nice and just genuine person. Uh, offered to help me carry some stuff to my room, and then from there, we just kind of hit it off, and I think just started becoming really great friends. Yeah, and what I will say, we, we mentioned this yesterday with Jim's episode, you know, when you're 19 and you're scared and your parents just flew to another continent, you don't know anybody, maybe you wear a black tank top because you it's it's easier to deal with fear if you got your guns out. Oh, right, absolutely. Your bench pressing guns. And by the way, you have usurped me 10x over in... The badass o meter no. at this point, so we we will probably come back to that. But you know, we enter into this weird experience where we're all in the quote unquote honors dorm. Right there, no one, almost nobody had the same major. No, even. not really. Yeah, it was all. It, it may have been close, like in the same like college. You know, like as far as like mass comm mm -hmm. or um, aerospace or something like that. But it was almost always a little different. So everybody didn't have the same classes necessarily. So when it seemed like every time that we would hang out, it was in the dorms. It wasn't like we would go to class that much together or anything. I don't remember having classes really with anybody, honestly. No, we kind of all had our separate paths that we took, yeah. but we would gather. It usually started while you're brushing your teeth, like in the bathroom or something, and then it would become two hours of YouTube videos. Oh, yes. And somebody, and I think your room was the original. Yeah, I, I think that helped because my room was right across from the bathroom. Ah, yes. And, um, what did we just lose? Uh, don't worry about it. The We're all, we're all good. All right, so yeah, it was like right across from the bathroom. And, uh, I will say that in the beginning, I was extremely nervous, I think, about meeting everybody because I didn't know what kind of people I was going to encounter or anything like that, and got really fortunate that everybody on our floor was pretty much really great people, mm -hmm. and we all had similar interests, and just it, it just blended really well. Um, the, I remember the first couple weeks, we're still trying to fill each other out and see who's who, and it very quickly then evolved into that open door dorm. Yeah. Where everybody just kept their doors open. You know, there wasn't really many shut-ins unless you were sleeping or 
maybe studying. Maybe. Yeah, I mean that that's the only thing I can really think of why the door would be shut, but like it it made it like a more of a home, like a community. Yeah, there weren't as many like sects, like right. um, nooks, uh, cliques, if or you factions. will, factions. Yeah, it really was. I haven't really encountered anything else in my life where there were whatever it was fifteen unified people hanging out consistently. Yeah, like going to dinner at the, was it, uh, McCallie or J-U-B, and we would wait and get everybody together a lot of times to go over there, so we're this mass of people walking, and then we're trying to find seats, which sometimes <laughs> proved to be a little difficult. Yeah. No, it was an excellent experience, I believe. And I remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say you were one of the first weekenders to stay were you there for the dodgeball where we drove to tar- to Target and bought, you know, dodgeballs and played dodgeball with other dorms? I'm trying to remember. I remember at least being, I don't, because I didn't go home, I don't think, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the first times, I think, at that point, being away from my parents for so long, and I loved it. It was just a growing experience. And, uh, I mean, I've been to summer camps, you know, and stuff like that, but to be living somewhere else, you know, I was ready to get that experience, I think. So I, I stayed there for at least a while. I don't remember getting the dodgeballs. Well, any there were a great many number of episodes early on, and I know you and I planned, like, the laser tag experience. And are there any episodes that you remember that were early in that adventure that stick out as being like, man, this is the reason why I feel like we're all gelling. Like, it could be laser tag, it could be anything that pops to mind. Uh, I remember playing Ultimate Frisbee. Oh, yeah. Early on. That was a whole lot of fun. I think we did that over there on the side of the aerospace building. Yeah, I was in on that game. Yep, and, um, of course, there was a capture the flag and the, um, uh, was it the fish? What's that called? Fish? Oh, sardine. Or something, yeah. Sardine, where you go, what is it? Um, There's one person that hides, and everybody's looking for them. Oh, yeah, it's like reverse hide-and-go-seek. Yes, and so once you find that person, you don't say anything and you hide. But it's it's ideal to do it where nobody else sees you hiding. And whispering and snickering as people are walking by like 30 feet away. That's exactly how I think the best game we ever had ended but I think that was the second year because that's when we had uh, Simon yeah we we had a French exchange student who became super tight with us Mm -hmm. Um, it was almost sometimes like he was on a sociology adventure and he was just like he would just he wanted to experience everything dive into every activity he could sign up for right but on that particular one I remember we were looking for it felt like an hour and we were in front of, the, we were in the quad in front of the library, actually in front of the Mass Comm building. I know exactly, yeah. And I heard a snicker and looked over, and I just see this Frenchman's face in one of those round planters, like in the uh, in the middle of the quad. Yeah. Uh, like all those big tall stalks, and it's like, oh, hey, okay, here we go. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I just remember jumping in there, and by the end of it, the middle of that thing was all trampled down because there were so many people. Oh, in it. yeah. Yeah, we completely annihilate. By the way, this is all hypothetical, right? Like it's we're not. This didn't we're just actually happen. Like if we had hid, that would have been a great place to absolutely to yes. hide. Yeah, but I, I do remember like there being an aftermath, at least in this hypothetical scenario mm-hmm. of damage exactly. with plants. But um, it, it, you know, hypothetically, it was winter, 
in yeah. that situation. So it wasn't like they were alive. No, they were headed for if this were to actually happen. I'm they sure were they were headed for ruin. For, yeah, yeah, trash heap somewhere. That's such a sardine. The game of sardine takes hide and go seek, but it makes it more social. Absolutely, and it helps. Um, the way we did it on the campus, we just kind of said, this is the area on campus that we're going to do it, and don't go out of it, you know, and let's do it. It, it made it really cool, because then while you're in there, you're, you're still trying to talk and see where everybody else is, but be extremely quiet, and a lot of times it didn't work out. No, and that was part of the fun. No, absolutely. You had yeah. this huge sandbox to play in, uh, including what you mentioned earlier when we did Capture the Flag, which turned into, the one that I remember turned into like a three-hour, maybe four-hour Now, that's the one where I think you ended up in jail. Oh, yes. Um, extremely early on. Uh, yes, I made a bad decision and decided to run straight up the middle. Um, start running straight up the middle of the, of the field there. Mm-hmm. And uh, was immediately tackled and captured and thrown into the jail, which at the time was the little awning above the BAS. And uh, so I'm just, now I was, of course, the only one in there forever. Because nobody had really, I guess, got to that point uh, to come get me, or they didn't even notice I was gone, or probably wasn't even that much help at the point, you know, at that time. And I was sitting on a garbage can, you know, just kind of hanging out, and I see a car driving toward me, which anybody that's familiar with the MTSU campus in that area of the quad knows that that's a walkway. It's not a, a road. Maybe. Now the campus has well, changed true. so much, it's like an interstellar space station by comparison. But yeah, yeah at this know. time. Absolutely. And I'm like, that That looks like a cop. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a cop. <laughs> what do I do? Because like, he's coming toward me. I'm like, I'm not, I guess I'm not doing anything wrong. <laughs> but uh, he finally he comes up and he's kind of ro- turns and rolls his window down and looks at me and he goes what are you doing? and I was like I'm, I'm in jail and he gave me this look and he goes you're in jail huh? and I was like yeah I can't get out until somebody tags me and so he just he just goes well alright well you be safe and have a good night just kept going so I was like alright well that could have turned out a lot worse yeah good thing you didn't actually experience the true real life yeah. Holding cell Exactly. Situation. The real jail. Well, one of the... We, we can move on to kind of where your adventure heads, because uh, you have an awesome story. You have truly a hero's journey. And if anybody has been listening thus far, they are probably ready to throw something at me for applying the hero's journey to people's lives. The classic Joseph Campbell. But we're going to tease that out. <laughs> I just want to ask you about the haunted house, because... Two people cited that as being kind of their initial entryway into really feeling like these were good guys that I'm going to be friends with, that I feel safe around. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what, do you, what are your takeaways from the haunted house? That actually, now that you mention it, that, that was almost like a turning point, I feel like, because we were already friends and then we were presented with this activity unified yeah. effort. And it was basically everybody took almost it seemed like a different role and to accomplish this competition basically of a haunted house of the dorms. Yeah, we were competing with each floor. Yes. 
And I think that might have even been the Felder First Floor, which became a it was a it, chant. Yeah. But we suddenly it had this identity. Our cry. Yeah, essentially, yeah. That was uh, that was such a great time. Like one of the things that really stand out, I just remember, is we were talking to Wink about how many trash bags we need to cover the <laughs> yes. hallway, and I can't quote him, but he started rattling off all these measurements of cinder blocks and how much area that encompassed, how many cinder blocks were in the hallway, and therefore you have this much area or this much space that can be covered by one trash bag, so therefore there's this many trash bags we need, and I was just sitting there like, holy crap. Yeah. Like, that just happened really fast. Yeah. Shout out to Wink, by the yeah, way. Absolutely. We saw him a few days ago. We all got together on your property, which mm-hmm. we'll probably come back to, but... I just remember that moment. I was like, man, there are people that are way smarter. Yeah, like, that, that's when it's like, I'm not worthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why am I here now? Like, I just listened to him, like, go off on this tangent about, and, and so quickly. Yeah. You know, how much yeah. we needed. And it was like, whoa. That, yeah. I was not expecting that. That's a bunch of mini math problems that I couldn't have begun to approach. Mm-hmm. And he had put all those math problems together into yes. the correct math problem. And he was right. Like, oh yeah. yeah, he was right, and uh, I mean that was incredible. But just the the whole haunted house thing. Cause I remember we did a documentary, pretty much of it. Yeah, and, you, because uh, of you, probably. I think so. Yeah, because I had the camera and all that, and so we we all put it together. We had like a time lapse thing going of you know went into the hallway as we're covering it with trash bags, and periodically we would stop that just to have somebody mess with the camera and do something funny or you know or whatever. But you know, it it was just it was an incredibly fun experience. And then to go on and to win, yeah, that first year we we won. I remember we had people walk through that tried to leave in the middle of it. Yes, well, we had a it was a guided tour with a plant. Okay, see, we've referenced it. Yeah, go into that because that was our good friend Nate, Nate, who he was technically a third floor. Uh, was it third or second? Oh, he was. Yeah, I think he was third floor, and. Um, we found him early on, and he just clicked with us as well. So he really didn't stay up on the third floor. He was always down there with us. So we just kind of adopted him as a floor mate. And uh, so what we would do is plant him in all of the groups coming through, mm-hmm. you know, and then he would kind of talk with them back and forth and basically try and prove he's not a plant, even though they weren't really looking for one. No, I remember we shot a video of one group going through, didn't yes. we? And you see him like looking around, going, like doing a good job. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> like playing it up. And uh, I can't remember who it was that was after Nate, but I remember it was about what two thirds of the way down the hallway, maybe. It, far enough where you know you've gone and far enough to see a bunch of crazy stuff, and then yes, and then he is snatched out by I think it was a somebody covered in blood or. Or something, and a lot of times that's why I got people to lose it. Yeah, because like, they were already on edge, and and what we had did we have Greg Mitchell hanging from the ceiling as well? Well, on a climbing harness. Oh man, yeah, we were complicated. We had a smoke machine in there. Yeah, we had the smoke machine. We I think we had a strobe light or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, there was a lot. Oh, we had the chainsaw or not chainsaw, but we had the skill saw. Oh. Wow. Or that might have been the second year. I don't remember. I think you're right, though. I think, well, did Robert show up at the end? He might have been the one, I think, at the end that was he, the final scare or something, because that was his room at the end. 
And uh, after that, he would, I guess, escort him out the back door, you know, to leave. I really got to watch that documentary again. Hey, we're going to do that video, soon. Because yeah. that, that was uh, an incredible, you know, incredible amount of fun. Well, this is all to say that we all became very close very quickly, and we did everything together. If you've ever had the experience of having a tribe, like a true tribe, and a lot of people have, I think they call them squad. The kids are calling them squads Squad nowadays. But to live with that many people is a rare experience, and that's why I tell any 18-year-old, go to the dorm Yes. Make your make your bones with the people that you will uh, probably be friends with, as in our case, mm-hmm. it's pushing eleven years now. Yeah. Wow. And that's why when we found out that you were going to join the Marines, <laughs> it was such a big deal because these were my brothers. These and you were that was going to entail a lengthy, obvious commitment. Right. So, can you talk us through? I mean, you're now since that original decision, it has been like a decade. Yeah. So, do you remember how that thought process went? I actually, I do. Um, I remember going through the first semester of college, you know, and it really wasn't what I was wanting. Like, I was wanting more focus on my major. I was wanting to, you know, get in and put forth work in my major and start learning all that stuff. Video Yeah, production. doing like video productions, do editing, stuff like that. And it was not available. They wouldn't allow freshmen to do that. And so instead we had to focus on essentially it was like high school part two. And due to that I think I kinda lost some creativity and some and some drive going toward that major. And so I became unhappy with college I wasn't unhappy with my friends you know or anything like that it was just I'd lost the a lot of the drive I think that I'd had when I first went in and so I was kind of looking for something else and for some reason I feel like I had something to prove um not really sure you know why or anything like that so I started looking at you know I still wanted to finish college but I started looking at other options too and that's when I started looking at the marines and I kind of figured if I'm going to do it I'm going to go as as good as I can. Swing for the fences. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had um, a real good friend from high school who had just went in the Marines. And so hearing his experiences kind of, I think, set me forth on that path. And I just remember sitting in the dorms after class and just scrolling through their recruitment website, like reading everything, looking at everything, and trying to ingest all of it. And uh, I can't remember when I finally told you guys that I was going to do it. I don't remember how that went or anything like that, but I know that I went to the recruitment station there in Murfreesboro, and at that point, I was fully committed, like I didn't want to be told no, you know, that this isn't something that you you should do, or anything like that, I just remember going in there, and was like, hey, I want to join the Marines, how soon can I leave, you know, and uh, I'd heard about the 92-day reservist program from DAX, which is my friend from high school, you know, that had done it before. And so I went into the recruiting station with that kind of ammo, with that knowledge that that was an option, which for anybody that's not familiar with 92-day reservists are people that want to join the military but still attend college. So I would go, what that meant was as soon as that semester ended, I would go to boot camp for the summer 
and then instead of going through uh, my combat training and then my my MOS school or my job school for the military, I would come back. I'd go to college for the next two semesters, and then that next summer I'd go do one of the trainings, and then it, you know it just kept going until you were done. Um, so I went in and actually got a slot into that, being based in Knoxville, and uh, left for boot camp. I believe it was May 22nd or May 18th. I'd have to go look. And uh, I was in it. I stepped off that bus. The uh, the little bus driver, he uh, he goes, all right, boys, you're on your own. Slammed the door and sped off, and we're like, oh, my God. And then the, the, you hear the drill instructors coming out, and then it's at that point where I'm like, what have I done? Well, I mean, an excellent uh, gateway, by the way, into this whole experience. That, that was a really good... Uh, building and I, I'm just curious when you make the decision and you sign the dotted line what do, do you feel like some emotion in your body do you you, you know you go home you're like I did it like I'm yeah. prior to ever even being at boot camp what is that first like I just did it like um it was a little uneasy um I was more afraid about telling my parents because this is like when the Iraq war and all that was going on and sure Afghanistan was still going on. It wasn't as you know in the headlines as as it should have been. Right. But um, yeah, I was more nervous. I think about telling my mom and my dad, and it didn't help either that I had retained hardware from a previous injury in high school in my wrist. So I had to actually get a waiver from the from the military to say that this will not impede my abilities in any way, which turned into a fiasco because my stepmother worked for the orthopedic surgeon that had all the records and so for me to get them I had to go through her and she did not take it well she was asking dad why uh he I needed all these records yeah and uh so he finally told her and she's like no he can he'll have to go get them I'm not I'm not helping doing this just because you know she was while she's my stepmother she was still a scared parent yeah you know and uh but I ended up getting those. Um, my dad, you know, he he was a little upset as well. My mom, she was she was really upset, but she understood why, you know, why I wanted to do it. And uh, so my dad and stepmom ended up taking me to back to Murfreesboro to the recruiting station, or I believe it was actually Meps in Nashville. And uh, we I got on that bus, and that was the last time I saw them until they came to graduation in August. And I, one of the things I remember you saying, because we all thought that you were, you know, such a brave soul. Meanwhile, here we are playing sardines and stuff. That is the uh, backdrop. Right. And now you're doing some real grown-up stuff. You're doing some straight-up going from us playing Halo and then getting laundry done to diving right into the arena. And I remember us, you saying something like, look... It's not that I want to go and be at risk, and be, it's that I just feel like. Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like I had, I had to do something. Responsibility. You know? was, yeah. I mean, it it really did feel like that, and I, I can't explain it, you know, or anything like that. But looking back, it was really one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Well, because it it definitely I feel like shaped me different, and for the better. You know, I mean, it was just an incredible experience. It was hard, but it was incredible. And bring us back to that. So you you get in, you you have you get in the bus, you arrive. Yeah. What happens in your head? You're going, what have I done? And then yeah, take us up from there. 
So you you get off you get off the bus and there's these little, little yellow footprints and so you have to line up on those and the whole time um, you've got this drill instructor that sounds like the most evil person that you've ever met, like and, and completely scary, like being terrified, you know, of what's going to happen, and uh, they line you up there and then basically give you a speech about what's going to happen. Uh, they tell you, I believe it was like a really really brief. Um, story about the door at the front because over the door it says through these through these doors past the most like the finest men and women or like the finest fighting force the world has ever seen or something above the door and that's what you walk through to go in wow and uh i just remember going in there and then they separate you into these little rooms sometimes they put you at these desks right there in the front but when we got there they didn't and it's almost immediately they your hair is forcibly removed it's not gentle it's uh, the fastest, most violent haircut I think I've ever had in my life. Um, some people were bleeding because they caught a mole or you know something Ooh. like that. And it, that's your first experience. And uh, you also have to go and make a phone call home. The whole time you've got the drill instructors leaning over your shoulder and just this bank of phones against the wall. So everybody lines up and you're given this card and that's what you're supposed to read. And it was essentially saying something like... Um, Hello, this is Recruit. For me, it was Recruit Carol. I've arrived safely at Paris Island. Please do not send any bulky or perishable items in the mail. I will contact you and I can't remember if it was like three to five days by mail with my address. Um, thank you. Goodbye for now. Like it was no, I love you. I miss you. Yeah. None of that. It hey, was, mom. No, no, like you you basically get somebody to answer the phone and you keep calling until somebody answers the phone. Like you can't leave until somebody answers the phone so that you know like your parents or whoever knows that you arrived safely mm-hmm. and uh, I just remember hearing my dad because it was like probably two or three in the morning answering the phone and uh, him being all groggy and it it was really it seemed really hard at least for me to as soon as hear his voice almost yell at him and then hang up the phone yeah you know it's like wow this is this is weird <laughs> And then after that, it, um, we I really don't think we slept for at least two days. I kind of feel like it was three, but I don't know because it's, I feel like what they're doing is getting everybody on the same time cycle, you know, or something like that. Because the whole time we're going through there and watching these like um, instructional, not, not necessarily instructional videos, it's basically videos of telling, telling us like what animals and what things on the island will kill us. You know, to be aware the of. The training island where you yeah. currently... Which, to call it an island, I think is a little... Uh, it's just a little strange because it's a giant hard patch in a swamp. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's not like an island surrounded by just, you know, beautiful water or just even, like, brown water. It's a swamp. Island where, from hell. Yeah, and I mean, they were basically saying that the easiest way out of here is to pass the training. If you fail out at some point or if you, or if you refuse to train, then... You go into this like platoon where you work off your debt of what all the stuff they gave you when you first came here, such as oh, like wow. your laundry soap, your you know your clothes, um, all that kind of stuff, because they give you a big duffel bag full of all this stuff, and uh, so you essentially have to pay off that you know through work, and then you get to they'll send you home. But then I think it's after that you can't have like a federal job or uh, anything like that. I'm not positive on that now. Man, that's so the, just to add insult to injury. Not only have you not past but you've got to work in this purgatory yeah place before you are promptly and it's kind of a gamble then because if you had a plan 
to work in a government job. Or just the option, you know? A lot yeah. of people just want that option of that government job. And, uh, again, I'd have to go and look and see if that was really a thing. But Sure. I really feel like it was it was something like that. But uh, we, well, I remember doing forming is what that week, first week was called when you arrive. And uh, there was this one guy that he kind of, we kind of buddied up almost, it seemed like, for the first couple days. And he was all gung-ho. He was uh, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I was an ROTC, the Marine ROTC, JROTC or whatever, uh, somewhere. You know, I'm really excited about this. My girlfriend's excited, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think he was there for maybe two or three days. And then it came to a point where they sat there and they had us all in a classroom. And they they just basically said, so anybody that decides this is not for them, this is your chance right now. You know, to walk away with no like, kind of repercussions. Clean break. Yeah. And uh, he sat there and he got up and left. And I was—I just remember at the time I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, like, this is, this is the guy I, I thought that maybe I could hang out with. and uh, Captain America. Yeah, I mean, he Mentality. portrayed himself kind of, you know, like that. And he just peaced out. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of like, okay. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing it. Like, I can't bring myself to do it. But then, I mean, it goes through, and you know, and we start the training, and it's very intense. Um, I really thought it would be, to say more physical is kind of, and it's not really right, but the, the physical part's definitely there, but the part that gets you is the mental. Like, I think they use the physical part to tire you out, and then that's when they really start attacking mentally to get you, I guess, tough enough to to deal with some of the issues. And that, I mean, that, that was pretty intense. Well, and one of the frameworks that I've been thinking about people's lives with, and I think almost anyone's life can follow this trajectory where you, you kind of get this pull towards something, yeah. like you did... Things were not, you felt a sense of dis-ease because this wasn't getting it for you. Um, and you were very creative in high school because I know you gave me one of your DVDs. But you, yes. you feel this pull towards this terrifying yet, uh, well, those are my words, but this, this courageous thing that you can't even necessarily describe. And you either answer that pull Right, or you kind of ignore it, shove it into the closet, and yeah. stay the course. And instead, you choose to answer the call, which is always the first step in the hero's journey. <laughs> then it's almost like you go into the underworld, right? You go into the this new kingdom, if you will, on this island that is covered yeah. by swampland. This almost, you know, you someone would say this is fictional. And now you're at the the part of the the story where you're you're in the training, you're in the trials, right? And in movies, they often depict this as a a montage, as the you know as the hero gets stronger. Yeah. But do you remember because you went in as one person, right? And you came out as another. So in the middle of this, are you cognizant of yourself getting tougher, stronger, or is it happening so fast that? You're just acting. I think um, it was more of just trying to survive it is what it kind of felt like because with these certain tasks and as things progressed, you had to become proficient at certain things. And uh, you had to 
be very aware of what everyone else was doing because one person can mess up and everybody gets punished. So regardless of, you know, like what you did, you could be right, but they're wrong and you're wrong because you didn't fix them. And so mm. that kind of aided, I think, some, like that kind of thing is, is kind of like aided, you know, being more aware of what was going on. And then from there, they made sure that you were physically strong. Like absolutely made sure, you know, through um, different exercises or things like that. There's one thing called the sand pit, which I had never heard of. My recruiter did an excellent job hiding that from me uh, before I joined. And uh, essentially what that is, it's an adult-sized sandbox for like 60 people. And it's a punishment area for like your whole platoon. And so when somebody messes up, everybody's in there doing like calisthenics and push-ups and sit-ups and all this stuff in the sand. So that sand's getting everywhere. There's sand fleas biting you. You're sweating your eyes. People are kicking sand in your face. And the whole time you have the drill instructors calling out and almost in this like melodic uh, tone what you know what the exercises are how fast to do them and all that and the longer you take to do it the longer you're in there oh. and uh, I feel like it's things like that that definitely made me stronger you know and then by the end of this whole journey um, we all were one team you know working for each other and uh, it, it was great like uh, the final exercise um, or test for you know the boot camp was the crucible which if I recall correctly it was like 72 hours of sleep deprivation and activities such as stretcher carrying through like these booby trap places and uh, different, well like uh, and to say booby trapped it's like they would have like red paint on stuff and red paint would you know signify like a, that was a booby trap so you can't touch that mm -hmm. so you're trying to navigate these obstacles and sometimes carrying people and not touch anything or... Because that would indicate you were dead. Yes. And they were dead. And the whole time they would have, uh, like, Artie Sims is, like, essentially, a, like, an M80 that whistles and pops, you know, and there was smoke going a lot, and you would have to go and do martial arts stuff and, and different parts of this, you know, a training arena. Grappling. Yeah, and, and I think it was a 40-mile trek over um, those 72 hours, and... For anybody that's familiar with Paris Island, it's not 40 miles long. It's like maybe two or three or something like that. So it's a lot of circles and going right. down different trails. So nothing really looks the same. And you're just going out to one point to come back. Um, but it was after that, once you pass that is when they start calling you Marines. Like before that, it's recruit, recruit, you know. It's like this recruit, you know. It's this rec You can't say I, me anything like that so anything that you say is this recruit well then after that it's 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 almost like you know you've made it you know it's you're the you're a marine kind of thing and i, I just remember coming back and because everybody was so messed up like our feet were messed up mm -hmm. people had rolled ankles and there was one guy in particular who uh was really he was a skinny guy but he had the heart of a lion like truly did and he wanted it more than anything and they were pulling people out who were injured. And sometimes they would keep them in training. And uh, all he had to do was make it back to our uh, barracks. And I, I can see the water tower. And the whole time he's right next to me limping. And he's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. 
and so finally, like, we weren't supposed to break ranks or anything, but me and uh, the guy on his other side put an arm around his pack and lifted him up as we're walking to carry this guy back to make sure he made it. And every time the drill instructors, we could hear him starting to run by, we'd drop him and still oh, do it. So wow. he would limp a second, and then we'd pick him back up to get him all the way back. And it's like, at that point, it, that for me, that was kind of like the, I guess, the si- significance of the brotherhood. You know, that somebody's there for you. Like, yeah, you, we're going to get do, you You're across. not doing this alone. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that was probably the turning point for me that I'm not necessarily the same person. You know, and I don't think that's in the bad way, but in the good way. Because mm-hmm. it's like I'm actually looking out for people more, you know. I'm not, it's just it's not just me. No, the like selfishness yeah. aspect is almost like completely annihilated. At Absolutely, that point. yeah. And, uh, but yeah, shortly after that, I think it was a week or two. We um, they actually gave us our Eagle Globes and anchor Eagle Globe and anchors, and our parents came and watched us run. And do they had a motivational march or a, mar- a motivational run? I'm sorry, and they wanted the parents to see it. So this is like two days before I graduate. Like I'm I'm gone. Finally, you know, yeah. you've done it. And uh, I remember they wanted people to ring bells because every battalion has their own bells outside. And the thing is, is you run by and you have one runner from like each platoon ring the bell as they go by. And uh, I remember, I, I believe it was, I think I, I think I got my battalion's bell. And I ran up and I, I rang the hell out of that thing. <laughs> like just gave it one really good ring to the point they're like, all right, you're done, go, go. And go, your go. emotions when you, when you hit that bell, like, yeah, I mean. It was intense. And uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was great. It really was. It was a great experience it was tough you know at times and very trying but it was really fun and then once I finished I remember sitting in my room at home before I went back to college and I'm thinking back and I start thinking of all the funny things like that happened that I couldn't laugh at at the time because <laughs> you had to keep up yeah you, had, you you couldn't really show emotion or you know anything like that and I started thinking back to all the things and I sat there and almost cried laughing so hard. You know, just all the little things. Almost and, like repressed, a, you had to yeah. repress the, the emotion. The joy. Yeah, the joy. Yeah, and uh, so like for instance, there was one, the drill instructors would normally take and, you know, they, they like to mess with the others. So it's almost like they will, for lack of a better term, they'll haze like the junior drill instructors. Oh, wow. And uh, in one instance, there was this uh, young young guy named Chapman. I think he was from Mississippi or Alabama or something like that, but he kind of sounded like Kermit the Frog, and he was a little bitty guy. And uh, I just remember Sergeant Wilkie would constantly pick Chapman to go and do this these weird things to this other drill instructor. And uh, anyway, one of those was uh, he would make him walk around and follow him like real closely, which you're not supposed to do. You're always supposed to be one you know one arm's distance away. And uh, another one. He basically he would just follow him, and every time that this drone circle would turn around, he'd bend down and act like he was tying his boot. You know, just little things like that. And then finally, this drone circle realized what's happening to him, so he gets he's like, "All right, Chapman, you're gonna push. You wanna follow me around?" So Chapman's only doing push-ups, and he stops in the up position. And he looks up, and then Sergeant Wilkie, the one that's making him follow around, Staff Sergeant Jones, gets down, and Staff Sergeant Jones can't see him. And he goes, touch his boot. Like, reach out and touch the drill instructor's boot. And Chapman just kind of looks at him, like, um, 
and put his foot <laughs> on his boot. And I, he snatched that kid up so fast and started dragging him out to the sand pit. But and it, this is we're we're like cleaning rifles. We're not supposed to be looking at what's going on, you know, right. everything like that. But just the anger, you know, it's almost like it. It was funny to us, you know. It's still funny, and it doesn't seem like a lot to some people. But just little things like that, you know, were incredibly humorous. Yeah, and you're in this atmosphere of absolute like constant challenge and ruin, and then these little vignettes of yeah. Humor are, are like little gold nuggets that you can't even mm-hmm. truly savor, or you can't look like you're savoring. No, them. not at all. Like, um, there was one that actually happened to me. It was because uh, I was so afraid at the end that I was going to get like cellulitis or whatever. It was basically almost they call it like jungle rot. Oh, where you would uh, essentially get like an infection and they would drop you from training. And I was so afraid to have to stay there anymore. I was constantly checking, you know, for anything like that. And just to be clear for those listening, drop from training would mean you would miss out on that class's graduation? or what? Yes, I would be held back a couple weeks, you know, until I was healed. And then I'd go back. With a new group. A new, yeah, a new oh. group. And then also that would mess with that 92-day reserve thing because I had to graduate at a certain time to still be able to make it back to college. Wow. So I had that kind of pressure and... uh I remember, this is going to sound funny, I just remember like one of my butt cheeks was itching. And uh, this was kind of near the end, and so we they'd given us a little more freedom about how we could move around and stuff. And I remember being in the bathroom, and I'm trying to see if I have a rash, you know, or something. On your butt? Yes, and so I'm jumping up, trying to twist in the air, like <laughs> naked, looking, trying to see. And, I can, and there's two doors that go into this bathroom. Uh, one on this end and, you know, one on the other end and then the mirrors and the sinks are in the middle. And uh, I just remember hearing one of the other recruits go, good evening, sir. And I just froze and I was like, oh, crap. And I turned around and it was a drill instructor from another another group standing there with his arms crossed. And I just, you know, snapped to attention. Good evening, sir. He's like, son, I'm, I'm not going to ask you what. No, I have to. What, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I was just like, well... Sir, this recruit was just trying to make sure he didn't have a rash on his butt, sir. And he just, you could see, I just remember watching his lips kind of quiver. You know, trying to fight back. He almost tapped out there. Yeah, and he just, carry on. He was like, carry on now, sir. Good evening, sir. And I did not carry on. I got my crap and got out. You did not continue to leap and glance at your butt Not at all. Like, I wanted to make sure if he went in there and told my drill instructor what he had seen or Whatever, he wasn't going to start messing with me, so I went and got dressed again, so I just blended in with everybody else. Right. So, I don't think anything would have came of that, but that, that was one of the humorous things that kind of... No, these are great, especially for people that don't know. We have all these ideas of what this kind of training... You know, these are the baddest dudes on the planet, or some of the baddest dudes on the planet. And I remember writing you, and you were writing about how you're, I, I guess... Platoon. What would what did you describe your group as in this setting? Uh, like our platoon. Was it your platoon? I believe so. Yeah, because it was platoon three thousand sixty eight. Three thousand sixty eight. Eight. Shout out yep. there. But you things were not necessarily going well, and 
you've we've established that you made it through all this and it went really well, but were there ever moments where no matter how much tougher you were getting, did you feel like, man, I, I don't know. Did you ever feel like you were going to break? Uh, yes. Um, absolutely. Like at the time I was still dating a girl from high school and, uh, I remember letters stopping, like sending letters back and forth. Ooh. And uh, I remember the letter stopping, and I'm like, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't know what happened." And a couple weeks go by, and then and they don't tell you letters are stopping. No, I mean, I just never got a letter from her. Everybody would get mail, you know. Yeah, this is yeah, how me yeah. And you okay, responded. so she stopped. Okay, yeah. Continue. And then uh, finally, um, I got one, and it was basically saying I met someone else, and you know, it's over. And I just remember at that point almost losing it, and. Yeah. Uh, I had one of the my bunk mates who slept next to me. He finally grabbed me and just he kind of talked me. You know, he, he was like, you know, man, it's not worth. You know, you're. It's obviously she was there was something wrong with her. You know, it was just like kind of like a buddy trying to, mm-hmm. you know, help you out and have calm you down and stuff like that. And it uh, so it was like that first night. I just remember it really hurting. And then after that, it was more of a, a determination. Fuel. Yeah. To uh, just say screw it. This is me now. And let's do it, you know. <laughs> and that's such an amazing thing because this was a thing that was kind of helping. It probably is a beacon in the distance, like a, yeah. uh, a comforting in it's gone suddenly. That's pulled out from under you. Right. And it was 24 hours and then you were, that's kind of all it took for you to just be like, okay. Yeah, like it, because I mean, I really sat there and thought about it and it's like, you know, it's, I don't have, I, it didn't help, I didn't have time to be sad. Yeah. I didn't have time to, you know, be upset. I had to focus on making it out of here, you know? And uh, that's that's what I did. And you make it out, and it sounds like, from what I remember, your platoon actually performed. We got the Honor Platoon, actually, award, uh, which was kind of cool. Um I really don't know right now what, I don't remember what became of it or anything like that, but, you know, it's, uh, we, we were the honor platoon for that graduating class, and it felt really good. And you get out, and do you remember, like, for example, the first food, because your diet has been very I, controlled. I absolutely remember the first food. Um, my dad was, you know, at first my stepmother, when we got in the car, she's like, well, do you want to drive around here and see anything? And I'm like, No. On, off this island right now as fast as you can possibly get me. So like, okay. So we drove right off the island and uh, told Dad, the first Burger King you see, I need you to stop because I'm about to really throw down on some like Whoppers with cheese. And that's what we did. I changed in the car, got out of my uniform, put on civilian clothes, which felt incredibly nice, you know, because this was the first time since arriving that I'd been able to wear civilian clothes. Wow. And... Uh, so yeah, I went in there and absolutely smashed like a double Whopper with cheese and a large fry and a Dr. Pepper. Like it was such a great feeling. Just close your eyes, toe curling. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, it was it was absolutely incredible. And you 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 go home and are there any other kinds of experiences like that? Not just the food that you ate, but little things that you missed so much that suddenly you could you you had the choice to go grab if you wanted to i think uh just to be able to sleep in peace oh yeah and not and know that you're not gonna get snatched out of your bunk in the middle of the night to go perform in the sand pit 
that was really incredible. Just the things that any of us don't even think about, and and it, that actually makes me think of another question. Like, were there any other things that when you came out you noticed more than you did going in about just ordinary life around here? It was uh, really hard when I came out of boot camp to deal with some people, like because um, it's it's like I had been had this sense of team and all this stuff drilled into me. It was almost like people didn't really appreciate how easy things were. Like I noticed it a lot when I got back to college, and not so much with you know our core group of friends, but just like random people in classes and stuff complaining about just trivial things. And it's like you have no idea. And at this point, I hadn't even been deployed or anything. You know, it's just me going through boot camp, and it's just like, what is wrong? You know, I, and I, I kind of still feel like this, but it's like there's a there. A, I had a, a thought that if everybody was forced to go through some form of like boot camp or something out of high school to actually give you a sense of worth even, you know, it doesn't even have to be like what I went through, just something to kind of get people to think more collectively, you know. Team yeah, minded. Absolutely. I think that would be a, a great benefit, but in this society, we're not going to be able to do that, you know, but uh, it was just a thought and. That was one thing I kind of struggled with, I think, right when I came back. But it, I soon adapted pretty well, I believe. And well, you're talking about people whining about yeah, meaningless, yeah, just meaningless things and stuff like that. So there's a, a gap between you, you, know, you, you. I remember you returning, and I remember, I mean, you know, you were a bad dude. <laughs> you were a badass, and I mean, you were already a badass just for making it through. But suddenly, you had skills. There was a grit about you that was palpable, um, and you were always like a tough, athletic guy. But now, you know, you would you would put up. You mm-hmm. know, if people say you talk the talk or walk the, you had walked the walk seven times over and then walked it again. And was it what was it like to go from this environment and this crucible, literally, to back to going to class now? It, it was actually really nice. I it was like a break, you know, and uh, it uh, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I was still new to the whole military experience, and I had to go once a month to Knoxville to do my time and uh, come back. But it, it was still I was still new, and it it was really nice. Like that's all I can say. Like you know, it's like you were still you still had to be a representative of the military for the most part, but you um you could relax you know and then that that made it in, like incredible and for i would imagine there had to have been a long time even after all this training that you you got to you enjoyed things more than you ever did when because you still had that awareness of the their absence of them yes, being gone absolutely um it's just, i mean yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know really how to explain a lot of it but yeah it is it was good. Then we cut to the fact that, you know, you signed up and eventually you're going to have to go to your deployment. Yeah, um, in 2000, I believe it was in 2007, um, our unit got the notification that they were activating and needed volunteers. And it when it came down to everything, I, most of the people that I went to boot camp with had the same contract that I did. We were all talking, and it's like, 
let's do it. You know, um, I was apprehensive, but it's like, yeah, because they couldn't honestly take us because of our contract because we hadn't fulfilled our training yet. Oh, you weren't, you were in the middle of it. Yeah, like I'd only done boot camp and I'd, uh, by the time I found out that we were activating, I was in my MOS school. What is that? It's the, it's your job, it's essentially like your, your job training. What is the acronym? I worked, um, um, military occupational specialty. So this is, is you deciding out of a series of options, what your focus area will be mm-hmm. and what did you choose? I chose combat engineer. Which is, um, they deal with uh, demolitions and uh, mine warfare. They also deal with bridging and construction, depending on what kind of unit you go to. The unit that I ended up going to was more mine warfare and uh, demolition explosives. And you're not even complete, you haven't even chosen your specialty area, but you volunteer. And well, I had chosen it from uh, when I was actually at the recruiter. So okay. my job was already selected, but I hadn't gone through the training until... I went through those two semesters of uh, school, you know, after coming out of boot camp, and then that next summer is when I went to this. And so did they, how did they handle that, that you're not done and you're still going to go? Um, I had to void my 92-day contract, and uh, then uh, I think I had, it was almost the start of a semester, I believe, so I didn't re-enroll. I went and tried to make sure everything was good with the school, and uh Seemed like it was, so I left. And they took and sent me to uh, my combat training, got that out of the way. And then a few months later, we were in California doing all that stuff and getting trained up to go. And then, I believe it was in July of 2008, I was in Iraq. Let's pause right there, and we will be right back. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Colton Carroll. Part 1. You know, my favorite part of that, I think, is that moment where his friend with the heart of a lion that he that he speaks of, who was injured during the crucible, where he and the, the other guy and their platoon literally walk him across the finish line while navigating the rules of the situation and yet placing that desire to help one's brother to help one's sister, to help one's other human in the situation where they found themselves, helping them get through the experience. It's amazing to hear how much one incredibly pivotal and challenging experience can do for somebody. It's inspiring to ask, I mean, I hear that and I go, What could I do that would make me more if I had enough courage to step into the arena? If you're enjoying this podcast, then you can go to Apple iTunes and subscribe or in any of the locations where you might get podcasts. The most generous thing that you can do right now is please write a review on Apple iTunes. Uh, If you do that, Man, thank you so much for taking that time to do that. And if you share this with a family member or a friend, that is also just so deeply appreciated. I'll be back next week with a another episode with Colton. We will go into his journey of actually being deployed. 
So we left it a cliffhanger, and we will resume that cliffhanger next week. So until next Thursday, take care of yourself.